Welcome to the RSP Cast. I'm Matt Waldman with the Rookie Scouting Portfolio, and this week we're going to talk about the art of the deal. We're going to talk about trades with someone who I get to compete with, and I have the good fortune of being able to to be on um, his show with Bob Harris, and that's Mike De- Dempsey, who is the host of Jaguars Today. You can also find him um, at 1010XL. Um, that's where they host it. And then, of course, the Jaguars Radio Network, where he's the game day co-host. And, of course, football diehards on Sirius XM Fantasy. And, and here's the thing. You, you know, we do this industry dynasty draft that Mike actually started and, com- and is the commissioner of, which is a thankless task in its own right. Um, but he is also, you know, a tremendous fantasy GM and one of the things that I just observed over the past few years of watching him play is how good he is at executing trades. He is one of the better people I've seen in the industry at at executing trades. So I thought it'd be fun to have Mike on. So Mike, you know, long intro on that end, but you know, thanks so much for joining us. No, I appreciate it, Matt. I mean, I told you I owe you as many appearances as you'd like. Uh you've been one of our favorite guests for years on the Football Diehard show on Sirius XM Fantasy. So uh, really appreciate you having me on today and all the nice things you just said. Well, you know, this is going to be a fun episode. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of it. And and if you haven't gotten a lot out of the rookie scouting portfolio, then I think it's because you haven't purchased it yet. So I think you ought to head on over to mattwaldman.com and you can download the complete pre-draft, post-draft package for $21.95. It's a combined 1,124 pages of scouting reports, draft history, ADP data, and football knowledge, fantasy players, media, former NFL players, personal people in the league. Even people in Division One routinely tell me that they've learned a lot about skill players from the document, um, and it helps them think of things in a different way. And, of course, there's the projections and rankings package, the Dynasty Rankings and Projections package for $24.95, and I'm making the Excel spreadsheet available for download beginning in August, actually at the end of this week when I get the projections set up. And that way you can fool with it however you want to. You can make adjustments to it. You can resort things if you want. If you think I'm crazy about projecting somebody higher than you know, than I do, um, then you can go ahead and make that adjustment on that sheet and not have to redo everything. So you can go to mattwaldman.com, get that. They're really great companion packages for less than the price of what you would spend, you know, going to dinner and a movie or dinner and bowling or just bowling itself or whatever it is that you like to do with your family. Um, you know, you get a nice purchase. And as somebody I know on the Audible set, on the other the other day, his wife was like, um, honey, what's this Matt Waldman RSP purchase on our credit card? And he said, don't worry about it. It's a good investment. And that was, <laughs> ba- <laughs> that was basically it. So, you know, head on over and, you know, you're supporting program content like this, um, as well as just, you know, keeping the lights on around this house, you know, so I can keep grinding that film. So, you know, getting started, Mike, I mean, listen, you, you have like dominated our league, which has been fun to fun to see um you know which includes some luminaries like you know mr harris and casey joint you know seth joiner and then you know um i'm trying to think gary jeff Davenport, howard bender got about we we set up the league with 32 teams and half of them came either directly out of the fantasy industry or the broadcast slash fantasy industry which i consider myself to be more the latter um, Armando Marsal 
from Fantasy Guru, one of the newest guys. And we've had a couple of, you know, owners turnover, which is not bad. 32 teams in two years. We've really only lost a couple of owners, but we've replaced them with high-level fantasy analysts. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, and, you know, you've won that league, you know, won that league last year, right? Or was it two years? Won it last year last... and was runner-up year one. Yeah, runner-up year one. And you could tell from, like, year one, I'm watching you wheel and deal, and I'm just going, this guy's already, like, he, you had a plan. So I kind of want to know, what is your general philosophy on making trades? Well, I, I think generally, first of all, you got to feel comfortable in evaluating players right like you just if you're going in blind and some of that is trial and error if you watch football for a while if you played fantasy for a while you probably have a your own opinions on players and i, I believe in my evaluations of guys like i respect the work you do matt i've told you many times the rsp is probably the single most impressive document that gets produced every year when it comes to any aspect of fantasy football and i'm not saying that because i'm on with you right now i've told you that dozens of times over the years and so I, I read everything but in the end you have to believe in your own player evaluation then to me it, it's much like a casino right when you play roulette and you bet black or you bet red you're getting 49 percent of the board because the house gets zero and double zero right so the house has that built-in advantage where they're getting 51 percent of the time like they may lose to you five times in a row, but if you play a thousand times, they're going to win five ten. They're going to lose four ninety, and that's where they make their money. And to me, I think you can be more successful than fifty one forty nine. You know, in terms of coming out with a good result in the trade. I hate to say win because that presumes there's a loser in a trade. The best trades are the deals that benefit both sides, and that creates more trading partners for down the road and they realize hey this guy's willing to pay a fair price for a commodity i have he'll deal on the level but to me volume is king matt that's what it comes down to i like to trade the more i trade i feel like i'm gonna lose some trades and i can point to trades i've lost in that league and others but i feel i'm gonna get a positive outcome the majority of times what that number is i couldn't tell you you know what i mean but um i just feel that then for me, trade as often as possible. And in fact, the best time to get a player for me is right after I acquire him because I <laughs> haven't sunk roots on my roster. Like if I draft a guy, sometimes people will say, oh man, you just sniped me in the rookie draft. Make me an offer. That's the best time. The guy is, you know, he just got here. I'll kick him right out the door if you give me X plus one. And that's what I'm always looking for. I'm looking for X plus one. I'm looking to upgrade what I got, what I'm sending out the door. Look, there are times you've got to lose a trade in terms of pure value if you're trying to win a championship and put yourself over the top and you need that last piece for your starting lineup. You might give up some assets that you know probably two years from now it's going to look pretty bad. But if you win the chip that year, how do you value that? It's it's especially like in a, a 16 or a 32-team league, which I like to play, and you win one of those. You're ahead of the curve for the next decade and a half at, at the very least. So my general philosophy is, Believe in your ability to evaluate talent. And sometimes that's a learning process. Sometimes you're going to take your lumps early on. And once you do have a good, firm grasp on that, be fair with people and just trade as often as possible. And not trade for trading's sake. I'm always, I always have a purpose. I'm always going after certain things. But I try to do it as much as possible because I think in the end, like I did in that startup draft, which lasted about two months, literally, right? We had 50 yeah. rounds, 32 teams. 
uh, I probably I I counted it up one day. It was about forty five trades in the startup draft alone, which is an insane number, yes. e- even for people who like to trade. But I feel like at the end of the day. I could stack up everything I gave away and everything I got back, and I'm going to feel pretty good that the net positive is in my column. Yeah, and I love a lot of things that you talked about. I mean, one of the things that's just, you know, having a wife who is actually a corporate negotiator by trade and deals with, you know, literally $800 million of spend responsibility in, in, in for her company. You know, one of the things she always talks about is when she deals with people, it's about... You know, one of the things is is just being upfront and honest and trying to make a deal that's a win win for everybody. Because if you, because if you if you take somebody, they're not going to want to work with you. They're not going to want to work with your company if you just completely steal from them. You know, because they did something unbelievably foolish. Really, all you you're trying to do is do your research, trust what your evaluations were, and present it. And that's exactly as you mentioned there. And I think that I love how you mentioned is that people want to come back and trade with you because of that. And I loved the point about, hey, if I bring somebody, if I draft somebody and somebody mentions to me they wanted him and you're like, I'll take him, I'll bring him right out the door. And that's that's a keystone point of being able to say you're not too attached to the player, attached to winning. And, and people get too attached to the players. So... You know, what else do you look for in startup and rookie drafts in terms of like picks versus players? Because that's always the thing that I I always find fascinating is like, how do you determine for yourself what's a worthwhile pick or when you want picks in addition to players and what type of players are you like? I'll take, you, you know, how do you kind of, what's your thought process, I guess, of combining what's going to be worthwhile for you? Sure. Um, and I think here we're talking more dynasty yes. than anything, right? We talk about startup, obviously, with rookie drafts. And I think there's a, you know, there's a lot of art to it, right? Here's the thing. In any decent-sized league, 10, 12, or larger, and I, the larger the better, as far as I'm concerned, because I think it favors the more prepared owners. So, for instance, for people who may be listening, they're going, 32-team league. Well, there are two copies of every player in that yeah. league. So the talent pool is that of a 16-team league, which is still – a lot more thin than a lot of people are used to. But um, I, the, the number one thing that, you know, as you said, I'm not emotionally attached to anybody. I'm attached to winning and trying to win and put together the best roster as possible. And I think the more that the, the larger the league and the larger the starting lineup requirements, the better for me, because there's always somebody who wants to do the opposite of you in a startup draft. There's always somebody who's willing to trade all their future rookie picks. You got to figure out who that person is now, because I've been in those leagues and I'm like, damn, why didn't I get in on that one? Right. So that's why I'm always blanketing people with offers because you never know what people are looking to do. Now they may come back and say, Hey, look, I'm not the kind of person who's going to trade my rookie picks. All right. Mental note made, but I think the biggest mistake people make, in a startup dynasty draft, Matt, is they they get attached to the idea of I'm going to have two or three top ten studs and I'm going to boat race the league. Well, not if you if you're starting ten players, you know, and I'm not counting kickers and defenses. So if you're starting a lot of positions, and the league we're in together has individual defensive players, so the starting lineups is like twenty deep, right? right. You can beat me, beat my brains in with those three spots. If I have a one point edge at those other 
15 or 17 or however many, I'm going to destroy you yes. in the long run, right? So I'm always, 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 always looking to trade back multiple times. Like if I start, if I have a high first round pick, I'm just praying somebody wants player X, right? Whether that's Jonathan Taylor or Jamar Chase or whomever that happens to be. So you find that person, maybe you move back three or four spots, you pick up, you know, a, a pick swap, in the seventh round range. Yeah. Seventh round in a startup seems like it's forever away, but it's not. It's like the core of your team that you're building right there. So for me, ideally, the ideal way to do it is to trade back as many times as you can. Slow incremental moves, unless you're getting paid the whopper for moving completely out of the round. And ultimately, I'll end up with no first round pick in almost every dynasty startup. But what I've got is I've got a pretty high second round pick and I have now improved, who knows, a half dozen other selections by a round or two rounds. And all of a sudden, while you have those two or three guys, you're going to look up after eight or nine rounds, and I'm going to have 12 players on my roster because I've moved that 12th round pick into the eighth round by moving it up several times. So my that's my number one philosophy, and I'm not the only one who tries to do that. And there can be times when you have success moving up, but I'll, I'll, in a rookie draft, it's the opposite. Rookie draft, you got to know your tiers and who the players are. And yeah, I'll still trade back on occasion, but I'm much more likely to be aggressive in a rookie draft like this year. If you want Brees Hall, you better get the number one spot. If you feel Drake London's a cut above the rest of the rookies, you better get the number two. The rest of them has been a hodgepodge of what order it comes off. So I haven't been trying to be that aggressive. But And I also want to say in a startup that – that's my philosophy in general. Move back, accumulate more value later. But you also have to sit there and realize when there's a player that's hanging out there that is just, you know, two rounds more worth of value. Like if you have him as an eighth rounder and it's the 10th round and he's still on the board, then you take some of that accumulated draft capital and you move back up surgically. And you do, I'm constantly trying to do that in a startup draft. So it's just, again, it's a, it's time consuming, right? It's not for everybody. Um, nobody, not everybody wants to do 40 plus deals in a startup draft. But <laughs> honestly, Matt, that's my favorite aspect of fantasy football. It's it's more satisfying to put together a good initial dynasty roster. That's that's what really does it for me. More so than those, you know, one point wins on a Sunday. The, the championships are great, but I like the challenge of putting together a roster and ending up with more value than my initial picks indicated I should have been able to. And that's why I brought you on to ask you because I suck at trades. Like I'm, I only do trades well when I'm in a position to win it all. Like where I'm, my team is close and I can get over the hump or there's certain deals with rookie. I'm good at trades and rookie drafts. I'm good at trades when I'm at that point at the edge or when I recognize value compared to other people who may not recognize the value with players. But when it comes to a startup, I, I knew that like the, the time to put in like, you, you know, that many deals, like I watch you and I'm going and I'd, I'd offer you something and go, well, I've got five other offers basically on the table <laughs> and I'm laughing and going, okay, so this guy knows exactly what he's doing because he's blanketing everybody. But the way the fact that you explained it on that fashion, yeah, it's not for everybody, but at the same time, it's not for everybody, not only because some people don't want to make the effort and, and put in that time, but it's more than that. It's also the comp, like you said, the confidence to know that you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, but you got to keep doing it. And a lot of people 
have that issue that when they lose a deal, they just they don't seem to get over that hump uh, on on doing it. And I think the way that you explain it with like the roulette wheel and the odds and and looking at it from that perspective, once you get over the fact the sting of something, then you just keep doing it because you can trade you keep trading to get out of the bad out of the hole that you were in, you know, and, and I think that there's something to be said about that. Um, so yeah, that's one of the biggest reasons why I brought you on is because I think it's, uh, you know, for me, I tend to be a, I tend to be a builder through the draft. And then when I get close, I start making key deals, but I end up being a slow build type of guy as opposed to a fast build. And one of the downfalls of that is that I can miss out on opportunities to make my team better once that window should have hit and I didn't do it because that windows, I, I, the, the window doesn't um, hit as soon as I think it would. And now like in the team that we're the league we're in, I have like a great linebacking core and I'm happy about that. I have some, you know, I have a couple of quarterbacks I'm pretty happy with. I think that my, I can build a, you, everybody can build a defense and IDP off the waiver wire, you know, and be pretty competitive. But the, the, the positions that I sacrifice, I look at and I'm like, well, my wide receiver sucks. The key opportunities that I looked at to try and build, you, you know, now I've, you know, now I'm at a point where it's like, you know, not, you can be at a point where it's like, if I don't have success in a year or two, then the strengths that I built, well, they're, they're now, that window's gone. So, you know, there's that point where you do have to start making deals or that making deals for players, like you said, being able to go back in those first 12 rounds and say, instead of, you know, in the first eight rounds, having 12 picks in the first eight rounds, as opposed to like saying, well, I, you know, I only have eight players. You have four more players who are within that top, you know, what that top range of, of contributable options, you know, contributing options who are going to be worthwhile to you. And that numbers game is just massive. So I'm just curious in terms of like those windows, when you talk about player position and age and recent production, are there any type of hard and fast rules you have in terms of guys that you're like, okay, they're at a certain age. It's time for me to see if I can try and trade them away. Or these are guys that I want to, I want to keep in terms of this, this range or, or certain things that I see with production. You know, when I see Cooper cup have this amazing year, is it time for me to trade him away? Or am I going to ride this guy because he's good? Even if he has, he's never going to have the 1800 yard type of seasons that he had last year. I, I think honestly, again, this comes back to a little bit of feel um, and being, uh, having an honest, assessment of the talent that you put together at that point in time we all want to think we're contenders like championship contenders every year sometimes it's okay to take a half step back and maybe trade away some of those veteran types that you're talking about you know like if you really aren't a championship contender tom brady doesn't need to be on your roster right he just simply doesn't because he's going the, the worst thing is to have a guy retire off your roster and you never got anything for him in the end so if you are not a championship contender, you got to find the, the teams that are that need what you have. And, and that's a big key to getting deals done, Matt. It, it sounds simple, right? But I, I never just, I would never say, all right, Matt's stacked at linebacker. I want one of his defensive ends. Let me offer him a linebacker. Would make no sense. You're already right. stacked at that position, right? So where are you strong? I mean, it's a simple formula. Where are you strong? What do you need? Who's got that? and then find the person who's got what you need and is weak where you're strong, there's your trade partner right there. And so let's say you're, you know, 
you're a championship contender just needing that quarterback, so I'm going to offer you Tom Brady. Well, one thing I like to do when I say I send out a lot of offers, if I'm trying to get a deal done, like I think the first deal you and I ever did was for A.J. Dillon. Yes. Okay? And I regretted it, but it was a good deal. It was... It was a nice offer, but I laughed. Go ahead, go ahead. It, well, it, the, the reason that I approached you on A.J. Dillon is because you got to know your league mates, right? I could read in the rookie scouting portfolio how much you liked A.J. Dillon. Yeah. So I like A.J. Dillon, but I know Matt really likes him. And I was trying to, you know, basically shift around. I felt like at that time he was a value play. I took him off the board and immediately tried to flip him. But instead of just offering him to you for what I wanted, what I try to do, and I'm probably sure I did this in your case because I almost always do it, is I try to put together four or five offers, any one of which, right, any one of which, if you took it, I would be okay with. But it gives you more ownership as the guy receiving the offer. Instead of saying, wait a minute, this guy's offered me this for this. Why is that? Well, okay, I'll offer you this for this. I'll offer you this for this. And, th- and, and so here are five different permutations. It lets you know kind of the range of what I'm thinking of I need to get back X amount of value either in the wide receiver core or whatever. Maybe that's one really good player. Maybe that's two startable players. Maybe that's a couple of young guys, whatever the case. And then put the power in your hands and have you say, you know what? I hate three or four of these, but this one seems kind of reasonable. And maybe that's the starting point for you to come back and counter off of that one. And it opens up a dialogue instead of me just going, Matt, here's AJ Dillon you got to give me Cooper Cup or, you know, just to throw a name out there. And that might not make sense to you. So I think that's, again, goes into it's time consuming, but to me, it's fun. It's like my hobby. So I, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I put together as many as 10 offers trying to acquire a single player. And I like to send them all, like, I, I get them all set up. I'll open up browser winners for each. Got to go click, 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 click. So they all just come flooding in at the same time. And then you sit back and it's like Christmas back because then you get trade off or accepted and you have no idea what you're getting back there. So uh, that's some of the, some of the fun things I like to but, do. But it's awesome because it inherently follows the philosophy you outlined, which is that you want people to come back and work with you. So if you're setting up the psychology of like, listen, I'm easy to work with. I'm literally going to give you so many combinations to work with that it, it even if the, if I'm looking at what you sent me, I'm not, I may not be thinking consciously Mike's easy to work with, but that's really what's going on because I'm thinking, wow, look at all these options I have to choose from. And even if I don't like any of them or I decide not to do it, I know that Mike's like taking the extra step here and it, it leads me to want to communicate with him more about making an offer from that perspective. And I love what you talked about, you know, if you have Tom Brady on your roster and he retires and you're not a championship level team, but how do, you know, and I know this is kind of more of a craft art type of thing too, but what are things you look at to look at your team and go, okay, I'm, I'm a content, I'm literally a contender from a difference between a team that goes, between a team that's like gonna make the playoffs but you know they're not you know you're not a contender because that's really that that's that line that's the hardest thing is to look at your team and go i legit have a real shot versus i'm i'm gonna get in the playoffs but i'm probably one and done unless like everyone gets hurt and you know key people get hurt on other people's teams it's a hard thing to know it's a hard thing for me to do because i never want to concede that 
I cannot contend in any given year. Like, if you've got the pieces to get to the playoffs, a move here or a move there could put you over the top. It happens to me more in redraft. Like, you make that trade or that key waiver wire pickup. We've all picked up that guy that all of a sudden turned our entire season around. It's less likely in Dynasty because people are stashing future assets. But I don't know if this exactly answers your question, but what I like to do, like what I did in, in the league we're talking about, the Die Hards Dynasty League, I won it last year. So I look and I say, what is the essential core of this team that I re- like? I'll trade anybody, but you're not going to trade Justin Jefferson in the dynasty unless you get blown away. So what? What is the core of player X, Y, Z? However many that is, and then I will take everything else that I have, and I will be willing to trade all of that away to rebuild my entire team. And I, I that's what I, I try to strip down to the essential, this is it, this is what I'm going to build around. And I'm kind of at that point with that team now. Like, I'm always willing to trade, but I like certain parameters and roster design. Like, we can start up to five wide receivers in that league, right? So I like to have seven to eight that I feel like if I started any of these guys, I'm going to be as good as just about anybody in the league. So maybe I get to the point where I've got 10 of those guys. And now, okay, I'd start to go a little bit stir crazy because what am I going to do with these three guys who are never going to play for me, Matt? I've got to get a tight end here, you know? So uh, it's just, uh, honestly, every team's a little bit different. And I think it's more of a gut thing if you played long enough. And uh, I've been playing for about 25 years, fantasy football, playing Dynasty since I think 2001. Yeah. And um, it's just one of those, you kind of know when you know, there, you always, there are surprise championship runs, but I could critically assess my eight or nine dynasties, whatever I have, and I could tell you maybe five true championship – like one of the top two or three teams in the league should be a deep playoff run team. A couple others that need some help to maybe make the playoffs, and then one or two that you know, are in various stages of rebuild or whatever the case. But it's it's there's no – one formula to it as we all know because guys outperform or underperform but the the more you do it the more experience you have the better you're going to feel more comfortable you'll feel assessing that so in idp dynasty leagues and i have a lot of listeners who are who are definitely idp dynasty folks i like to talk about the idea of building teams with like certain positions are kind of anchors for me You, you know i mean for me like in a premium league obvious premium scoring league a tight end having one or two premium tight ends who are awesome is like an anchor position because to me, those, um, that position tends to the, the top players like your Tony Gonzalez's and Gates's, um, you know, Gronkowski, they can play into their mid 30s and still be top five tight ends so that you can sit and hold those guys. If you land one of those, you know, you, you tend to be really good with that. So I'm just curious, do you look at any of, do you look at builds in IDP dynasty leagues and have like certain anchors that you're like, these are positions that I really feel like I have to make a priority? Oh, no question. And obviously this is going to go to the scoring system. Uh, in large part, particularly with the defensive players, because, you know, I, I see some leagues that'll say, oh, yeah, we're IDP. Well, how many do you start? I, we start three. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're, I, like, you're, ta- you're the tab of uh, of Dynasty Leagues. You know? Right. You, yeah. Everyone's going to have three studs, and th- there's no challenge. There should be some, you know, uh, resource scarcity 
out there that makes you say, hey, now I better get one of these really elite defensive ends if the scoring system allows that if you've got a T.J. Watt, T.J. Watt's 22 sacks should make him a top 10 player in whatever format he's playing in because it's such an outlier season. So a big part of it, you know, setting up a league is just coming up with that scoring system. But once you do, I think, like, look, a lot of people feel this way. Offensively, you want a core of good wide receivers. And they can be a variety of ages, but you want your young, you want to take as many shots at the young upcoming wide receivers just because of the shelf life, right? Like, I don't care, honestly, if I have a great running back on my team at the end of the startup draft. Um, I think the best running back I had by far at the end of the startup and the one we've been talking about was J.K. Dobbins going into his rookie season. And I ended up making a bunch of deals and, and my roster looked different, but I had great wide receivers. And I'm trying to remember why I started off with a tight end, but I, I love what you're talking about. Tight end such a difference-making position, right? Like yeah. quarterback, you're going to find a quarterback. You're going to find a couple of quarterbacks. And in a dynasty, you should take some shots on the young up-and-comers. Everybody wants shares of Lance and Fields and all these guys, and that's great. And I, I got really lucky in that league getting Herbert as one of the last starters. Nobody wanted him. You know, it was just like the the – the word about him, defensively, you talked about building your linebacking court. That's the meat and potatoes right, right there. I mean, that's those are the guys who every week you can count on showing up for you, whether your scoring system, you know, the top-end guys score 10, 15, 20 points. You want a core of linebackers that are going to give They're you those wide numbers receivers every week. of ADP, of IDP. Totally. Yeah. Totally, right? But then, depending on how far you break it down, like I like leagues that separate defensive tackle from defensive end. You separate defensive tackle from defensive end, all of a sudden Aaron yes. Donald is as valuable as any player yes. in fantasy. Yes. He's as valuable as Jonathan Taylor if you take the age factor out of it. How many of those young defensive ends, particularly, Matt, all these switches to 3-4 defenses, right? And this software then, you take Daniil Hunter of the Vikings, who's one of the best pass rushers, all of a sudden he's a linebacker. Eh, yeah. That's great because the scoring generally favors – the Tech. down linemen because they're scarcer, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I, I think linebacker and wide receiver, like your baseline. And then I do think, like you said, tight end on offense and typically defensive end on defense. If you can, you know, like there only, there's only one Aaron Donald out there. So right. chances are you're not playing against him that week, just as you might not have him. That's fine. Safeties and corners, Matt. I mean, you want to talk about the waiver wire, even in a league as deep as we have, I can go pick up a starting lineup of safeties and corners probably yeah. right now. They're just so plentiful. And uh, so, yes, uh, linebackers and wide receivers are your baseline and your difference makers, tight end and defensive end. You want difference makers everywhere, ultimately. But that's the 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 short version. Of yeah, it. and I love it because, you know, if you want, an, you, you want an illustration of a player who was great when he was a defensive end and then they moved him to defensive – or a defensive tackle, and then they moved him to the defensive end. Chris Jones of Kansas City, like the, the the difference in what he was to a fantasy team was stark when they made that switch early on to making him a defensive end. And then, like you said about defensive backs in these leagues, I mean, to me, that one of the most underrated plays, like late, is just to wait on defensive backs. If you're gonna draft one at all, it's for me for many years. It's always been the aging veteran who's like 32, 33, and nobody wants them like the Charles Woodson or the Dawkins or anybody who's joined a new team, but you know, he's going to end up 
getting a lot, ton of tackles, and he's going to end up being on a team that's not such a good defense. But he's like the captain of that defense, and he still has the physicality and the smarts to play. And next thing you know, you're getting, you're basically getting a a, a de a DB one for free, you know. But nobody wants because they they're thinking dynasty. I need to pick right. the draft the DB who's like drafted in the first round, and you're like that guy's worthless. You can get him on the waiver wire like in six months, and probably two years from now you can still get him because. He's not, you know, he's not going to be that great. And it's also the difference between what makes a good NFL player and what makes a good fantasy player at that position. Well, and, and there's a difference between safety and corner, too. Give me the grizzled veteran at safety, yeah. right? Those guys are often tackle machines. They have a nose for the football. And you're right. People, oh, I have all my teams going to be 23 years old across the board. No, it's not if it's going to be any good. So get those veterans there. But it's the opposite for corners. Because if a corner is playing that deep, they've got a reputation in the league. And oftentimes, they'll get thrown away from. Now, you get the exception, the guys that just have the high interception totals. But the ideal defensive back is, a is bad one. one. <laughs> he is, is a bad one who's just good enough to keep his job. Right. That's the best one. Yeah. The guy who gets picked on and that he's a short tackler. Gives up the reception. Makes the tackle. Boom, there's your points right there. But he has to be good enough to hold off the guys behind him, which yes. is why you churn those corners all the time. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. So with that in mind, I think there's a couple other questions I had for you. And one of them, oh, I'm trying to remember, is um, with certain um, certain trades, I guess one thing that I want to ask you about with, with trading players is um, – are there any situations where, you know, you deal with people who are um, resistant? You know, do you find that you, because of the method that you use, that you're dealing, that the people that who normally may be resistant to trades tend to be more amenable working with you? I mean, is that, I would imagine that's the case. For some, I, I'll say that in the 32-team league, I'm pretty sure out of the other 31 managers including yourself i've traded with 30 of them in two years so i can't be just ripping everybody off right or or i wouldn't be able to keep going back to the well and have everybody being willing to deal with me there are some managers who are tighter than others there are, and again it comes down you got to learn your league a little bit some people like that you know blitzkrieg of blah 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 other people don't you know some people i think the other way turn it around like if you've got a player that you put out on the block okay I, I get this all the time what do you want for player x generally my first answer is an offer okay because <laughs> you're trying to get me to set the bar but here's the thing i'm at the point now where i look at that as an opportunity okay you've opened the door you're interested in my player now's the time where i'm going to give you a half dozen options here's a half dozen ways you can acquire this guy or send me a reasonable counter you know, and look, I'll tell somebody if if I say I, I want, let's just pick a numerical value. If I want a ten for this, and you're expecting a twenty-five, then we may ne it's it's pointless, right? Yeah. Now, if if it's a ten and a twelve, we can meet at the eleven or whatever. You know, just to use a simplified explanation. So yeah, there I'm sure there are people that get turned off by a wave of trades. Um, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, there are enough fish in the sea. As long as you're doing it above board, as long as you're not saying, hey, I'll give you, 
you know, Gardner Minshew for Jonathan Taylor. I mean, right. you know, I don't care how much of an Eagles fan you are. That's right. a bad deal in anybody's book. So don't don't be a ripoff artist. Yeah, and and when people send stuff to you, this is one of the things that I think is worthwhile because I get a lot of deals and I interpret this as that people are just giving me a starting point to have a, a conversation. And it mm -hmm. separates people from, and if the people were trying to rip me off, then they just kind of go away. The people who are really were just trying to have a start, a standing you know, conversation with me, you know, they'll respond when I respond back in kind. But oftentimes you'll get some deals that people will offer something and it's just like, I'm going to give you, you know, I want Nick Chubb from you. I'm going to offer and they offer like five players who are all like half baked. You know, they're like none of them. They're all guys that like have no shelf life um, and they're they're not worthwhile. But that's a starting point type of deal. So do you respond, you know. How do you usually respond to trade offers like that from people to try and get the ball rolling? Or do you just not kind of ignore that stuff? What are trades that you trade offers that you tend to ignore? What are trade offers that you tend to tend to say, let's re-engage here? Well, obviously the the anytime you get the lopsided one that you know, I get the you know, you think you're being crafty by giving me five for one. And we all know, look, I gotta find room for all those players in my lineup. If right. that's because because if I'm getting the one, it's not just one versus those five. It's one plus the other four people I could put in my lineup around him to match those five. That's how I look at whether or not this is a good deal for me. There have been occasions where I just get such a bad offer. And sometimes I'll tell someone, I was like, look, I'm not sure where you're coming from. Right. But from my point of view... This is so off base, and here's why. And sometimes that'll be met with, I've gotten people to say, well, I just wanted to see if you'd go for it. <laughs> At which point, now I know. Who you are, yeah. Now you're going to pay a tax if you ever do a deal with me, right? I'm going to make right. you pay extra. And there are other people, some people just quite don't know values. And, you know, I think, again, getting to know your league mates as best as possible, which is not always easy. You know, we have the benefit, Matt. You and I have never met in person, but we've done interviews several dozen times, and we've talked on breaks and talked about philosophy, and you're a Georgia boy, and I'm a Florida boy, and one of these days we'll get together, and the whole thing. So I, I feel like I know you. Right. And that's not going to always be the case in online leagues. So, you know, everyone's got a different level of experience, too. So I, I'm going to give most people the benefit of the doubt. Occasionally, you figure out who that one ripoff artist is like if a new guy comes into the league taking over an abandoned team and they're trying to make a flurry of trades to improve their team that's great but if they think that they're the smartest guy in the room and you don't know the value of players you know you're gonna you're gonna put it this way you don't want to cut me off as a trading partner because i'll get more trades done with you than anybody in <laughs> right. the league if you want a deal man come see me right. so you know let, let's say look again there are occasions when I'll say, you know what, I am overpaying. But what this does is plug that tight end hole in my lineup. And I've got the depth. And I will overpay you because I'm trying to win a championship. And if I get Travis Kelsey in my lineup and I'm strong everywhere else and I happen to have the surplus that I can do, I can give that up. Um, it's okay to lose a trade on the objective value of it. If the end goal is to win the championship, and if that puts you a step closer to doing that, it, it's okay to take that chance. Yeah, that makes total sense. I, you know, I've heard Sigmund Bloom say this, and I thought it's it's kind of an it's an interesting idea, and it was the thought that 
when you make a offer a deal and you feel a little twinge of regret um, making it, that that's usually a good trade because it's that idea that the comp of the compromise where no one's particularly happy about it, um, but it but it gets the job done. Do you, does that resonate with you at all? Absolutely. Right. There are occasions when I'll send something out. And I honestly don't know what I want as a response. I, I really don't. Like, like sometimes I get the rejection and it's like, oh, thank right. goodness. Like, like, what was I thinking, right? And other times I get the acceptance and I'm like, oh, uh, which of my 17 <laughs> offers did they take that I didn't like really any of them here? Hey, look, we've all heard the mantra, sometimes the best deals are the ones you don't make, okay? And let me tell you, a different dynasty startup last year. I built a great young wide receiver core and really neglected running back. And Cam Akers was basically my only guy and he gets hurt. And so at, at a certain point, this may have been pre-Cam Akers injury, but I was weak at running back. Matt, I hate to tell you, I offered Jamar Chase straight up for Clyde Edwards-Alaire and I got rejected. And... <laughs> I mean, so I, I can think I'm pretty good on that. Like, and I wasn't unaware of what Jamar Chase was. You know, of course, sure. there were collegiate teammates. And it was just a matter of, you know, it's sure. one of those, I'm probably going to overpay, but I need that second running back. And then he rejected it because this guy's crazy about his running backs and loves to have 17 of them if he can. I mean, so no matter how good you think you are at it, buddy, you can really Listen. screw the pooch badly. <laughs> oh, and I've done that. It's funny because, like, as a, as someone who I decided one time to engage in trading, like blowing up a team, and I had I still always remember this, and I write about this occasionally. Is that I remember having like Peyton Manning before he went to Denver. It was like during that iffy time with his neck. I had Antonio Gates. I had Marshawn Lynch. Um, you know, I had a stacked team, and I traded those three guys away. Um, and that it took my team like five years to like get better because I ended up in that nether zone of like not good enough to make the playoffs and too good to have an early pick because I blew up this team too early and, and I made bad deals, you know? And so I, it's funny because I've, I've become a better trader since because I worked through that, but I've always been that, but I've been kind of more conservative of an owner and it's fun because having you on you are much more of an open trader as opposed to me where I'm kind of more the Woody Hayes of, of team building <laughs> maybe on that level of like, I'm going to just draft and get and waiver wire. And then, and then I'll make the key trade when I need to. It's like the key pass, you know? And, but, um, but then like in, in a, you know, the, ex, an example that kind of bleeds over to trades is like auction leagues. Like I've always been very good at auction leagues. If I'm going to say is like one of my strengths, but I don't, write about it a lot but i've that's one of the things that really got me in this industry and part of that is is like you talk about reading the room who's loose who's tight in terms of how they approach things and it's that's it's that same thing it seems like with trades as it is with um auction leagues where you could start off an auction league and I always tell people you can see when things start getting loose based on how people are overbidding and that's the point where you want to like encourage people to overbid 
and then you kind of stay there. And then once somebody like takes someone high and, and someone comments, even if you don't know anybody and they're like, woo, you just paid $70 for that player or you paid 45 for that wide receiver. That's when you make sure you go to the whole strong with one of the players that you valued in the same range that somebody thought they overpaid on and you might end up getting a massive discount and if you don't you still probably wind up with him at the value that you expected him so it's that psychology of playing where people's responses are and i think you've highlighted that so well today of like just kind of you know knowing who's loose and tight with that mm -hmm. and making offers that that kind of fit on that are there any indicators of like loose and what what you think is like kind of a loose trader versus a tight trader that's worth like people to kind of get a kind of a fundamental understanding of that yeah well i don't know it's just you look for guys that are making deals with other people right and there are certain ones you, you look there are certain people that i never get an offer from now i can deal with them but i have to initiate it all the time and <laughs> and, that, and that but that's okay I'm one of them. And, yeah, but yeah and that person is more like you you get to know it you know yeah. even if it's just a 12 team league there may be three or four teams that never send you an offer in a dynasty league and maybe one or two of them that don't even respond and it's like why are you even bothering with this so you know you kind of like okay my pool is reduced and i do find and i bet if you tracked it and i don't know this for sure I probably do 50% of my trades with like 20% of the managers because we're all, there are trade happy people. I'm trade happy. What can I tell you? If somebody updates their trade bait, they can be pretty convinced I'm going to send them an offer, right? Like I'm going to look and you say, okay, you got five guys in your trade bait. I want him. Boom. I'm going to look what I got and I want to strike immediately because that person's in that trade thinking mode. As soon as I see that pop up in my email, trade bait updated. Okay. What is it? Let me just send an offer out there. And I might even make a comment. Look, I'm not sure what you're looking for. Wanted to get the ball rolling. Let me know what you think. That kind of thing. There are other people, like in Dynasty, there are certain managers, thinking of a certain radio co-host of mine, who feels much more comfortable dealing with veteran players that have a track record of the NFL. Okay? That's the person I'm going to go to and say, what can I get his rookie draft picks for? Because rookies, there's going to be another six or seven people that covet nothing but rookie picks, right? And they just want to, and the time to deal those is important as well. As we know, the closer you get to the NFL draft and the rookie draft, they go exponentially up in value. So you want to acquire them like now, right? Like during the season, things like that. And you see a guy like that and you may say, well, I've got this veteran player who, that maybe has a year or two left and I can get some really good draft capital because – it's like a, a used car, Matt, right? Once you use that rookie pick, it goes down in value because only X amount of people would have drafted Garrett Wilson. Some right. would have drafted Olave. Some would have drafted this guy or that guy. So the pick itself, though, I want to leverage every single one of them. I, you're not going to get through a fast rookie draft with me, okay? Because when <laughs> I'm on the clock, I'm taking that and, and I want to shop it and, and get the most value out of that. It's It's great if I can get player X, but if I could get a player Y who's 95% of that plus another pick, that may be 30% of that. Now I'm talking about 125% compared to 100%, you know, that kind of thing. 
Um, I think there's I a know. psychology too to like using the all the clock that way because while it annoy it, it can annoy people who like to have a fast draft, but those people who like to have a fast draft also tend to get impatient. And now that their pick is finally upon them, and the, maybe they didn't get who they wanted because you got twelve picks in eight rounds, um, <laughs> <laughs> you're able to then you know offer them something maybe offer that player back that they wanted. And now they're like maybe more amenable to doing that. But just, uh, that's just a thought aside. But like one of the things that I'm interested in too is like, what about future picks in Dynasty? You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, are you, do you like trading future picks? Do you like, uh, because to me, that's the the toughest thing. Cause like in the, in the aspect of the industry I'm in, it seems like every spring I always hear, you know, um, my peers who are selling their own guides going, well, wait till next year, wait, till, uh, you know, or the big media guys who are like this quarterback class is awesome. And I'm thinking I've watched five of these guys are talking about, and, um, they're going to be downgrading these guys by like January. It's like, they're not going to be as good as what, what we're talking about. You know, it's like, who is, Oh, I remember the days when Logan Thomas was a was a top ranked quarterback in June of the year that he came out of the of the year that he was going to be out, and now now he's a tight end, you know. So, right, what do we, you know? I tend to tell people don't get too far ahead of yourself when you're trading when you're trading picks, uh, trading away picks um, for players, or you know, or getting too wrapped up in what people are that rating the position for the next year. I, it, it league to league, it might be a different approach for me, but I have no problem. You'll find a mixed bag with me. Like I have one league that I won last year. Next year, I have one of the bottom third owners, first and second round pick, my own pick. I'm stacked with picks and I'm the defending champ and I love my roster. Then you'll find other ones where I'll say, you know what, I'll trade away my future picks because there's always somebody who'll trade for one more year in the future. So, okay, I traded away my 2022 picks in one league. Well, guess what I'll do? I'll trade 2023 picks to acquire 2022 picks, particularly when certain guys slide. Like if if I've got a guy who I don't have a first-round pick, I have him rated as ninth on my board, and there he is sitting at 14. Now he's in the second round, and I trade my first-rounder and maybe, you know, like a fifth-rounder. Because if you really look at it, those late picks, they're fun to have. They rarely pan out. They really don't, right? So you're you're talking, depending on the league size, you're really concentrating on the first three rounds or so. So this year, for instance, I was in a league where I needed a running back. I traded a 2023 pick for Damian Pierce, the opportunity to draft him in the second round of a rookie draft because he was by far the best option I was going to be able to acquire. So next year, okay, what good is it going to do me if I shuffle through this year and finish, you know, fourth out of 12, and I have the eighth or ninth pick, and is that going to change my team next year? Well, if I find myself in that position where I've got to get a guy, I'll take a couple of 2024 picks, and I'll trade into 2023. But I want to go back to a point you're making. I think people go way too far with the idea of I'm going to tear it down and I'm going to rebuild this thing from the ground up, and I'm going to have – I'm going to have – I'm going to dominate this draft. I'm going to, you know – Eight of the first 12 picks in the draft and five more second rounders. I've seen it happen. We've all seen it happen. How often does a draft produce that many surefire players, right? It never happens, Matt. I mean, 
I mean, look, if you got the first three picks last year, you got Taylor uh, and uh, not Taylor, Najee and Chase and Pitts. Great. Right. That's if you happen to have the top three picks. And how did you picks. arrange to do that? Because correct, very you traded away all yeah. the value you've got. Like the the whole the total rip it down rebuild. I've seen it work once or twice. Literally, where that team then in the lifespan of that league went on to win a championship. Usually, that manager two years down the road is impatient that his old twenty three year old team isn't doing anything, and he starts the process all over again. And it just it, I just sit back and you you know you've got to then realize well if there's a veteran player that's the guy to go to. If he's got a good bet, he all he wants is picks. All he wants is draft capital. He wants to tank it, have the number one pick, and have all these picks and blah blah blah. Man, you can do that all day long, uh, and it, generally that's not going to pay off for you in the long run, in my opinion. No, I think that's. I think it's great. I mean, I I I'm in a league where I think I've won. I think I've won two out of two out of the past four and been in the championship three out of the past four. And there's a team that has been, that has owned the, all the picks in the draft, except for mine pretty much um, the past five years that, and is still drafting, still owning the draft. They own the draft, but they don't own right, the league. That's great. You know, I so, want to own the playoff. <laughs> exactly. You know, so with that in mind, I mean, this has been fantastic information, Mike. Is there anything that I haven't asked or anything that's kind of come to mind for you that you that that in this vein that you want to share in terms of that would be good advice for folks who are wanting I, to I think come? some things we, we touched on. Hey, again, don't be afraid to make mistakes right off the yeah. bat, right? You know, you're, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to go, oh, wow, I really, I made that deal. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time, and I almost traded Jamar Chase for CEH, right? So you're going to make I traded Byron. I traded Michael Vick for Byron Leftwich early on. Yeah, that's, that's but a hey, bad you know, one, you know? But you know what, Matt? I bet because you do such work on these rookies, you feel like, like you said, like, hey, this guy says this guy. I've watched him. He's not that good. You believe in your evaluation of players. And I'm sure over the course of time, your methodology has proven out to you that you feel like, you know what? I'm not really screwing this up. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm not, I'm I'm not doing putting okay. all these bad players. Yeah. I'm doing okay with what I'm doing. Right. So those are the players, like, especially the guys that you're higher on yeah. in your rookie scouting portfolio. Those are the guys to target because, you know, perceived value versus actual value. Actual value is a myth too. Right. Actual value is only what you feel that that yeah. player is worth. But no, like check out the RSP, check out all the sites, look at the rookie rankings. If you love uh, George Pickens, okay, right. and uh, I had Greg Cosell, noted film watcher from NFL Films, tell me that he doesn't deal with off the field stuff. He goes just on pure film. George Pickens is the best wide receiver in this draft. Okay. Right. That's his opinion, but that's a guy that we all know studies as much film as anybody. Sure. If you agree with that, well, you know, Pickens is going like 12th in rookie drafts, right? right. Late first, early second. Okay. So now I'm going to take my fifth overall pick because somebody just has to have Chris Olave and I'm going to trade back to 12 and I'm going to say, now this is a steep drop. I'm dropping it. You know, you got to sell it a little bit, right? But for my trouble, I need your first round or next year, or I need a second this year and a second next year, or whatever the compensation is, because you're as happy taking that guy, you would have been as happy getting him if you didn't make the deal to begin with, and you just stuck and picked, and you got to have the courage of your convictions, and you can't get emotional about players. You know, like That's people right. think, 
Right. People think I want, uh, I'm going to go, I cover the Jaguars. Therefore, I have to have the Jaguars and I'm going to overpay. No. Right. right. Not at all. You know, if, if they if they score me points, I like them. If they don't, they can go to somebody else's team, Matt. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And that's, and what you've just explained is how I got Lamar Jackson, you know? So it's like, that. that that's exactly that's how that works. It's like you look at it and go, okay, well, you know, everyone else seems down on this guy. I can get him in the mid second round, you know, you and, and I can trade back or I can, I can trade back, pick up a couple extra picks, get Lamar Jackson, and then wind up with a, you know, a couple of receivers who are worthwhile that blossom just in time for everything to work out. Well, you know, listen, I mean, obviously getting a chance to talk with you always works out. And, you know, if, if you're not following Mike Dempsey on Twitter, you can find him at MD underscore 1010XL. You can find him at the Fantasy Guru site where he does podcasting there as well as at SiriusXM NFL and SiriusXM Fantasy. Um, you know, really one of my favorite people I get a chance to come on shows with who, and, and I'm always fortunate to be able to do, to do work with Mike and, and Bob Harris and, and talk fantasy. And I love working with Mike because when I start saying something that may not be ring quite right, he, he jumps right in and goes, well, what about this? You know, and gives me, and it's like, and I laugh and I go, yeah, you know, that was, that's a good point. Cause like Mike, again, as you see, is a very good fantasy player, fantasy GM in his own right. And is just killing a league right now that, that we're in. Well, so hopefully this is helpful to you guys. You know what? The, the reason I could do that with you is because I know you're a thoughtful person who isn't tied up in their emotions. Like, if you got to be able to challenge people, if you're just discussing fantasy football, you got to be willing to be challenged back yeah. as well. I don't have all the answers, man. I'm, somebody none of say, us oh, do. Yeah. None yeah. of us do, right? So, <laughs> and, and I've always appreciated. Look, you said a lot of nice things here, but everyone will tell you. We've told you this for years. You're on our Mount Rushmore uh, of uh, favorite guys. You're just so knowledgeable, and you are a guy that I'll say, Matt. I just think you're flat out wrong here, right? you know, and I disagree. <laughs> and guess what? Maybe you are, or maybe I am, or maybe it's somewhere right in the middle. But if we can't have those conversations, we're not going to advance the hobby right. where we need it to get. And, and you have to take strong stands about players that you believe in. And you're going to be wrong sometimes when you take those strong stands. And that's, and that is, I think for young people in this industry, I'll just end this out. People who are trying to make it, you know, you're going to get blowback. You're going to get kind of blowback from people for taking a strong stand. They're going to tell you you don't know what you're doing. They're going to tell you you never played football. They're going to tell you all sorts of, give you all sorts of reasons why, what your, your point sucked. Okay. If you believe in it and you have the process that you've put in the work to have that belief, like Mike said, you go with it, you believe in it, because if you're wrong, you're going to learn faster than trying to listen to somebody else. I don't need to listen to some former NFL cornerback tell me about running back play, even though he's going to sit there and maybe tell me I don't know anything. Um, because he might be right, but I'm not going to learn what his process was because he's not going to sit down for me, sit down with me for the next 30 hours to explain to me how he arrived at his conclusion. You've got to do that work yourself. So it's the same thing with valuing trades and valuing everything else here. So... You know, again, on behalf of Mike Dempsey, I'm Matt Waldman. You can find me at Matt Waldman on Twitter. You can find MattWaldmanRSP.com on the interwebs and learn more about the rookie scouting portfolio and the rookie scouting por um, projections. 
as well as my YouTube channel, Matt Waldman's RSP Film Room, where I provide a lot of free analysis and content there. Thanks again, guys. Have a good week.